Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us here at Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and today I am so excited to have such a wonderful guest on today. Her name is Shauna Lee. She's the number one best-selling author of The Soul Frequency, Your Healthy, Awakened, and Authentic Life, and the founder of thesoulfrequency.com and The Soul Frequency Show, leading the conversation on raising your energy frequency and creating a life founded on truth and alignment. She is a speaker, businesswoman, and a consultant to executives of Fortune 500 companies, celebrities, influencers, and fashion industry experts. Shauna Lee has been featured in the Awareness Magazine and the International Dosseries, Depression and Anxiety Secrets. She's also a contributor to the Medium, Tiny, Tiny Buddha, and Elephant Journals, and has been featured in numerous podcasts and international radio shows. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Yes. So we spoke before and just like hit it right off and had just some great conversations. But I just, for everybody out there that doesn't know you, I would love for you to just talk about your story because it's so inspiring. And and I just feel like so many people get caught up in the life that they think they need to have. And I just would love for you to share your story if you don't mind. Yeah. So... I think my whole life theme has been about really understanding who I authentically am. And my story follows that in so many different ways. So it's no mystery that I teach that now because um, we often go through a process of learning what we then come to teach in the world, which is part of living our truth. And for much of my young life, I was um, really looking around for how to be normal. I was born with an intuitive gift of insight. So I had two spirit guides from the time I could first remember who lived in our house um, with my mother and father. I was an only child. And it was really like almost a sitcom because I could see these two beings that my parents couldn't see. And they were very nice and accepting, you know, an understanding of me. Um, but they would go to sit down on the couch and I'd be like, hello, you're going to sit on, on this person. Like what's wrong with you? You know? And so it was, it was comical. And for a long time, I didn't have the perception to yet understand that they literally couldn't see what I was experiencing or saw. And as soon as I started to figure out, I got to be five or six years old and I started to figure out that not everybody experienced the world the way I was. I immediately closed up and I just felt like this is not normal, what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. And I really spent much of my life trying to look around me and say, what's normal, what's good, what's right. And I, you know, was a high achiever in a lot of things in school. And I, I built a business in the real estate industry. And I really spent much of, you know, my teen years, my early 20s, even my early 30s, running after what I thought was going to be acceptable in the eyes of others. And I thought, you know, achieving and making money and living what I felt like was a perfect life would somehow, when I got there, um, fulfill me and, and make me happy. And what I came to discover is as I was checking things off my list and saying, yes, I've accomplished this and I've accomplished that, that those feelings of fulfillment and happiness that I was running towards weren't happening. And it got 
you know, I think when things feel really far away, we think, yes, it's far away. But if I go after it and I have this life or these things in my life, then I'm going to be authentically fulfilled and happy. And as the day got closer where I kept checking things off the list and there weren't that many more things and I didn't have those feelings inside that I desired, I had to reevaluate the way I was living and what I was doing. And, um, and that really turned out to be a huge transformation in my life, you know, led by first a spiritual awakening again to the truth of who I was when I was a little girl and the things that I could experience in the world um, that not everybody else was experiencing and finally opening the door to those again. But it literally changed almost every single relationship, every single way of being, the way I perceive myself, the way I perceive life in a very short amount of time. I always say I had a varsity level transformation. Um, so I can help people with, you know, with transformations that are small or ones that are big. I just got a very big one very quickly. How did you handle, I mean, because I think that you really stepped into who you are now, but how did you handle all that change? Because most people are, are very afraid to step into such a big change or, or turning around what you also described as people pleasing. And we'll get into that in a bit, but just completely turning that around. You know, I think well, one of the catalysts, I think there's always a catalyst to people really having life change occur for them. So most people live in a similar construct of reality as they're born into for, for all of their life. And right now, we're having a lot more people waking up to, wait, is this the construct that's really my construct? Is this my perception of life or is this the people that raised me or society or people around me? So I think this is going on on a collective level for sure. But for me, it, it just I started to see where I was living out of other people's ideals. And there was this little voice inside of me that was saying, go this way. And even though going this way felt terrifying and scary, that voice, you know, as much as I tried to drown it out, which we often do with food or alcohol or distraction or, you know, scrolling on social media or tuning out to TV, whatever we do um, to drown out the truth, it just keep, kept being louder and it kept urging me forward. And at a certain point, it became, you know, more painful to not follow that than to than the fear was. And I think, you know, every transformation starts with pain. So whether it's a physical pain or a physical ailment that you're going through that you kind of wake up and say, I have to live differently, or whether it's an emotional, you know, breakup or loss of a job or something that really shakes us to our core and kind of breaks us open. And for me, my catalyst was actually a happy catalyst. It was uh, becoming pregnant with my son, mm -hmm. but it really shook up my construct of life. And it really made me rethink you know, what I wanted him to see, you know, and, and watch, obviously kids learn through us. And so it really had me reevaluate what I was doing. Right. And you talk a lot about the band-aids in the book that, that don't allow us to wake up to, that allow us to continue to be stuck. Your band-aid was chocolate chip cookies, but you also talked about social media or um, whatever else it is that could be a band-aid uh, for somebody. Um, and just kind of checking out of life. How did you realize that that was a Band-Aid for you? Well, this started, when I really started realizing this even deeper is when I started working with other people. So when I started my practice and started coaching people, and I initially started my practice really just talking about food and holistic health and things of that nature. And then I realized at about 
my 50th client that this has nothing to do with food. Food is obviously a big deal on the surface, but it's what's driving the desire that became more interesting to me. And so what I saw about my own, you know, love of chocolate chip cookies is there was a point in time where I didn't think life was worth living without chocolate chip cookies. Like if someone told me, don't eat cookies forever, or you can't have cookies for the rest of your life, I would have wanted to hurt them, right? It was was non-negotiable. Like this was such an important factor in my life. And I realized like, why is this, why do I feel so argumentative about this? Like, what is the charge behind chocolate chip cookies? And, you know, it's really back to, I talk about in the book when my parents got divorced and what a traumatic time that was for me. I was 10 years old and I used to make chocolate chip cookies at that time by myself. I knew the recipe by heart and would do it by myself and I would eat the dough and luckily maybe make a few cookies. And and it was kind of my way of soothing my emotions that I was going through at this time. And so it became this response to stress, right? This response to emotion where cookies always felt comforting and always felt soothing. And I use them as a tool, an emotional tool in so many different ways at so many different times in my life. And until we go, my relationship, it's like if someone, let's say I went to a doctor or, you know, a holistic health professional and they said, stop eating cookies, it would be impossible because the connection I had with cookies at the emotional level was far too great. That would be successful maybe for a week. And then I would go back to the cookies when something came up in my life. And so I started to look at how do we go underneath the food or the shopping or whatever it is that we do, right? To make ourselves feel better and get right to the heart of what is driving the action? What is the emotion? What is the desire? And how do we heal that? Because what I happened in my own life and what happens in the lives of my clients is when we heal that underlying root cause desire, then the desire for the cookie goes away. It's like, I say now, I'm like Brussels sprouts, cookies, all the same thing, don't really care about either. Like, so to go from a place where I felt like I wanted to argue with somebody about a cookie to now not caring at all, whether they're there or not there, having no desire for them, um, to me is just evidence of healing what was driving the desire. Right, so I had a mentor once tell me that you should be okay with or without everything, which really now as as i've gone on longer and longer i i completely understand that that addiction to exactly food which is very very common i think across the board um to that that we use to soothe alcohol is another i think huge one social media you really should be kind of neutral and okay in your own skin but yeah and the beautiful thing is that all those indicators whether someone has got that going about food or alcohol all it is to me now from this vantage point is an indicator that something in your life is out of alignment that something in your life is either unhealed or doesn't feel good even in your current life like maybe there's a relationship that feels like nails on a chalkboard or you go to a job that feels like nails on a chalkboard to your energy to who you are in truth And these things are just little signposts that tell us, hmm, something's out of alignment here and I need to look, I need to look deeper. How are you getting to that with your clients? How are you able to dig down and figure out what the problem is and um, how to address it? Because when you're saying, you know, you're not in alignment with your job or you need to totally shift a career or, or, hey, you need to leave your partner, whatever that is, those are, 
Yeah. And it's not as simple as that. And usually there's a multifactorial you know, situation going on, but this is the way my intuitive gift works. So when I intuit into somebody, I'm not necessarily, you know, sometimes people ask me, what's the difference between a psychic reading or something of that nature? I'm not going back and saying, this is exactly what happened when you were five years old, or here's what's going to happen in 10 years in your life. Because the truth is, is that when we're looking into the future, there's many different trajectories because everybody has free will choice. So you could go and make a totally different choice and go down a different trajectory than what somebody might have predicted for you. I'm more looking at what is out of alignment, like where is, so I can see like, let's say someone's struggling with food current day, I can see where the energetic tie began. So I can go back and say, let's talk about when you were five and let's talk about this circumstance that happened because that was the defining moment where this belief set or this behavior got adopted, right? And you started to live from it. And now here you are 35 or 45 or whatever it is. And you've been living out of this belief set for all these years. And so we can dissipate the energy around that, basically cancel that belief set and start living out of a new belief set. So it's just the way that my intuitive gift works. And sometimes, you know, with different people, I can say, you know, here are the things that don't feel good in your life. And it doesn't, it's not so black and white as let's say you're in a partnership where it doesn't feel good in your life, just by being able to admit to yourself that it doesn't feel good in your life, things begin to change. And then I really teach people a lot of effective communication skills to start to shift the energy in that relationship. And the beautiful thing about changing the energy is we tend to think that we need to tell someone else that they need to be better or different or that they need to change because they're doing this, that, and whatever. But it's really about shifting your own energy. So you can unilaterally shift an energetic dynamic between any you and anybody else or you and a group of people by doing it within yourself. And so when you learn that, you realize you have a lot more effect in life. You're not the victim of what other people are doing that you, by maybe seeing things a little differently or communicating differently, can actually cause a change in the dynamic. And so a lot of times, you know, things that seemed at the brink of ending or they just are never going to work, all of a sudden start working because we're able to look at what needs to be healed within ourselves and we're able to communicate differently. Yeah. I, I love that. I think that that is spot on. And really when you start to heal your own wounds, people completely shift around you and how they relate to you. Someone will come in, especially here and they'll say, have you ever experienced X, Y, Z? And I'm uh, whatever it is, like some sort of trauma or interaction with the world. And I, you know, I say, no, generally, no, that doesn't happen to me. I had to go home and reflect on maybe why I hadn't experienced what they had experienced in the world, but I've done a lot of work, internal work within myself. And I could probably look back and say, maybe 15 years ago, I would have been in that same boat or that same situation. Exactly. Pretty amazing. Well, one thing that I think is really interesting um, is people, you, you discuss in your book, the weight loss industry. And I want to, I want to talk about the quote for a second, because I think it's astounding, but um, you say ABC reported a revenue of a staggering $20 billion of people spending money to try to lose weight, which, wow. And what I see in here is when, when patients will come in, they'll say, I'm doing keto, I'm doing paleo, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I've done it for like it's seven days and I haven't lost any weight. What's, what's going on here? What's wrong with my diet? What do we need to do to have me 
lose weight. And you follow this up by saying another quote down a little bit further. It says, eating healthy and maintaining weight is, is not a timed event. <laughs> and so, and, and it's, it's really a lifestyle shift is really what I, I hear you saying from that. And I think so many people are so focused on the weight loss in their particular life. And so when you have somebody that's doing a diet a hundred percent and they're not losing any weight and they've probably been doing this for three or four months. And although they feel good, you see the weight not move on the dial at all. And in, in this situation, I really think emotions really come in and are in charge at that point, right? And so what is, is that a client that comes to see you a lot for healing? Yes. And, and I just challenge the perception. I think I do this in the book of the whole concept. It's like looking at the very tip of the iceberg. It's very easy for us to notice our physicality in the mirror and to project everything in our life on that physicality. Just like I was talking about, if I would have achieved certain things, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled. So we project that if our body looked a certain way, it's just an easy outlet because we look at ourselves every day in the mirror that all of the other problems in our life will go away. And I know it sounds silly to say that consciously, but we really do believe that. Like my life will be so much better if I lost 20 pounds, 50 pounds, whatever. I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. I'll feel good about myself. And really it's the opposite of that. It's cultivating the feeling good about yourself, the loving yourself, the healing yourself, I think that comes first and the body follows suit. So when we're trying to go about it the opposite way, meaning I'm going to hold all my wounds inside and I'm going to try to over the top, like gut it out and lose this weight, you're always going to be, you know, having like the shadow chasing you, right? Because the, the emotions, the feelings, the hurts, the unhealed parts of ourselves are always trying to rise to the surface to be healed. So if we're continually using food as I I talk about a lid, like that we get to a certain point in life where we've gone through enough things in life where it's like a boiling pot. And if you try to put a lid on a boiling pot, it's just kind of jiggling around because the water is boiling. And so we just keep putting more food on or more alcohol on or more things on to keep that lid down as that pot continues to boil. And so the brilliant thing to do is start dumping out some of that water right? Because then the lid fits right. And then we don't need to keep piling things on to keep the stuff hidden underneath. And so I actually think so often in the diet industry, we are completely missing how to approach weight loss. It's like, it's like the 180 from the way that we think about it and approach it. Absolutely. I think our weight loss industry is based on lack. Um, Oh, you need to eat less. You need to exercise more less calories, it's caloric intake, et cetera. And it, it seems to me that sometimes people, they will come in and they're eating, you know, applesauce and like some and water or something. They're on this incredibly extreme diet and the dial is not moving at all for the weight loss. And, and to me, you know, in a lot of the situations that come into my practice, it's not a calories in calories out like we've originally been taught. And I've heard some really interesting advice. Well, you know, you're in menopause now. And so unfortunately you get a salad a day. It's bananas. Like what is going on out there? And sometimes I've found that it's not even about taking more away. It's about stopping and reflecting and doing less like with, for example, the diet component. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the most powerful level of our being. So we have a physical level of our being, an emotional, a mental, and a spiritual level of our being. And obviously, we tend to notice the physical the most. But when something gets to the point of the physical, it's the last point, right? It's already gone through the spiritual. It's already gone through the mental. It's already gone through the emotional. So when we manifest like a dis-ease or we're struggling with weight, there have been indicators on these other planes of our being for a long time that have been unheard. And so it makes sense then when something arrives at the physical to really go back to these other parts of ourself, right? Our mindset, the way we think about ourselves, the way we see life, because a lot of, you know, a lot of extra weight also has to do with lack of feeling safe in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, insecurities, right? So there's reasons we keep ourselves insulated. Being in relationships that are um, abusive or not healthy is a way that we keep ourselves insulated. And so we literally, as you know, the animalistic part of ourselves, go, okay, I'm going to pack myself for safety, right? I'm going to be safer if I'm heavier. And so to really get beyond that switch that's been triggered, we have to go back to why don't we feel safe? Right. And what's going on in our life, whether we inherited this as a way of being from our parents, they didn't feel safe or our grandparents didn't feel safe, or whether we actually had events happen in our life that caused us to say we're not safe in the world or we're not safe within ourselves. That's a big one I see with weight. And if we don't go back and understand that safety, we're, we can change our food all we want. We can try all the diets in the world, but we're ultimately not getting to the core of what's really going on. Yeah, I agree. And and I've always thought it comes back to a safety or insecurity issue. I find that quite a bit in practice. But you also go a little bit deeper in your book. You go and you say, you know, look at what what um the message was given when you were 5 to 10 years old. What what was happening at that time in in your life? And there there's multiple exercises throughout the book to really help you reflect. But are you saying um the the five to 10 year old um, area or time frame was significant because that's when our beliefs got ingrained. Yes. So this is one, those are the, the range of ages. Really it's from your first memories. So sometimes that's four years old for people mm-hmm. um, until we're 10 are the major, when we're first born and we're born into this world, we don't see anything as good or bad or right or wrong. We're just born to the family that we're born to and life is life. And when we start to get to the ages where we can remember things is when we start to be able to be traumatized by things. So what are the first events in life that told you you're not okay? What are the first events in life where you noticed that you got hurt by something or someone did something mean to you or hurtful or sad? These are the things that, because it's just like the analogy of your first love, you know, the first heartbreak you have is so heartbreaking and so shattering because you've never had that experience before. So you're completely wide open, right? Mm -hmm. You just go into it wide open. And then when it happens, it's just like, someone tore out your heart. And so these firsts of our life where we start to see ourselves as separate from other people and we start to see the differences in people and we start to have events in our life where either our parents or our siblings or kids at school, you know, say something or do something, there's no there's no indicator of why some child is going to process what some kids said to them, you know, on the playground in second grade and take that to heart and live out of that. You know, where one kid might hear, one kid might say to another kid, you're fat. 
And that kid might forever live with that perception of themselves where another child might hear the same thing and it doesn't even phase them. So everybody can process traumas in different ways and everybody hears things and latches on to certain information in different ways. And so I say that, you know, I talk about in the book, you know, someone might have suffered really serious physical abuse and another child might have had a child say, you're fat on the playground. And those can be registered by those two children as equally traumatic. So we can't look at it from our adult vantage point and say one is more than the other or less than the other. We have to look at all of these things as impactful. And there are firsts when we are forming who we are in the world. And those are the lenses that we see ourselves and that we see life out of. Yes, I think that is... That was an incredible observation. I think when I read through that portion of your book, you know, some of the things that to me seem minuscule, exactly what you're saying. I'm like, huh, I'd never gone back and thought about how X, Y, Z would have been. I don't really even remember anything. I don't think that registered, but I I could definitely see how somebody could be holding on to some of those childhood beliefs. And you bring up a great point because oftentimes, you know, things are buried under the surface. And so we don't think back, you know, so often when I work with people, they're like, I haven't thought back till I was 10 in years, or I don't (laughs) even know. And then you start to open the door to that and the memories start coming up, right? We we all have them. Um, It's just some of them are more prevalent for some people and some of them are really buried deep for others. Mm -hmm. And you also talk, I think about a very chronic problem that we have as adults, um, the people pleasing part of us, the the part that always says yes when we want to say no, and and how young that starts um, as an ability to conform, and I see that be almost a root cause of anxiety a lot from people because they they need to do something for themselves, but yet they're helping their friend move because they don't know how to say no. So, um, how did you how do you help people, or how did you overcome this people pleasing? peace in this ability to conform? So it's a process. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. And I think it's understanding within yourself that if you're going to be true to you and live a truly healthy life on all planes of your being, you're not going to be able to please everybody. So you're playing a losing game. And you're never, even if you're trying as hard as you can and you're juggling all the balls in the air, you're not going to make everybody happy all the time anyways. So you may as well kind of pull your energy back and start looking at first what's going to make you happy. Because the best chance you have at being there for other people is first being there for yourself. And we get this backwards so often, especially as women, Mm -hmm. um, because we want, you know, we're caretakers and we want to love people and we want to give to people. And we do it a lot of times too, because even, even historically and generationally, it's the way that women in particular have gained love and acceptance and approval. And at the core of our being, we need to be loved, right? This is why even when people grow up in difficult households where there's a lot of trauma and abuse, they still at a core level want their parents who might even be not nice and abusive to love them. And so we do all kinds of things and we're taught from a very young age to do all kinds of things that are not in alignment with ourselves to gain the approval and love of the people around us. And so to stop people pleasing, we have to start giving ourselves the approval and love. And we have to start understanding what's our scale um, for ourselves, not the scale of trying to live by everybody else's scale, which is impossible, but 
And I, I you teach people a lot how to call their energy back. So what I see in people when they're really tired and exhausted and is when I look into their energetic system, it's like they've got their energy plugged into everybody, their children, their, you know, relatives, their mothers, their fathers, their, you know, their, their friends and colleagues at work, their friends at home. And, and it's literally like their energetic system looks like it has octopus legs going out <laughs> everywhere to everybody else and they're exhausted. And so I have a lot of techniques that I teach people about how to pull their energy back. It's not that you're taking your love back. You're just taking your energy back because when you've got it spread out like that, you're never going to feel good or healthy in your life. You're going to feel scattered. You're going to feel just burned down and you can't get your energy going. So that's one of the ways that I see almost across the board when clients first come to me is that we're just plugged in in all these different areas and wondering why we're so tired and exhausted. And, and why is it that you feel like people can't trust their own intuition or their own compass? I mean, it, to know, hey, I'm, I'm being overcommitted and to put a line in the sand on that. I mean, people will push until they're in a complete disease state. Like I get to see people when they're full blown autoimmune Hashimoto's and I get to have, which is autoimmune thyroid. And I get to have a conversation with them about, Hey, like, I think that you are pushing too hard. Like this is the last system to really go in, in your body, your, your body's fatigued and worn out, you know, it's on a stop mission. So why do you think people will push through all these warning signals and not trust their internal intuition. It's the deep core desire for love and approval. Because if we have no love within ourselves, or we're not experiencing that and we don't really know that we're good through and through and we need the external praise and we need the external love coming at us to feel that we're valid, we can't stop because that is a core base need even more so than food or water is to feel accepted and loved. And the truth is, is that if you're going to live your truth and you're going to be authentic, you're going to disappoint people. And one of the things I guide people through is how to understand that in a new way, because it doesn't, it feels scary for people to feel like they're going to not juggle all the balls anymore, or that they're going to say no to someone. And that person might have hurt feelings that they're not going to come to their party just because they're tired and they need to take care of themselves. But again, it's because we don't have the communication tools on how to do it in a way that leaves everybody feeling intact. It really comes down to how we communicate the changes in our life. And if we were taught from a young age how to do this powerfully, we wouldn't have as much fear around making changes in our life. We just don't know how to communicate them in a way that the other person will still love and approve of us and accept us for us taking care of ourselves. And do you feel that empathic people have more trouble with the people pleasing bit because they're so much more plugged in? Yeah, for sure. The more sensitive you are because the more you feel in another person when they at all are not loving and approving at you. So some people, you know, the people that are not as sensitive they won't, they won't necessarily sense when someone is pulling back love and approval until that person outwardly says, I'm mad at you. You know what I mean? Don't do this. I'm <laughs> going to pull back my attention. But the sensitive person is going to feel any shift in that person's energy. And the sensitive person, when they feel any shift, even if the person who's shifting isn't necessarily doing it so that the other person can feel it, they're just having their own emotions. 
the empath is going to feel those emotions and want to stop it because it seems overwhelming. And so the way to stop that person is just to give in to them or do whatever they want you to do so that you don't have to deal with the stress or the anxiety about the shift that you're feeling within them. And this is all usually going on non-verbally, right? So it's like, there's no conversation even going on, but you feel, it's like when you look in someone's eyes and you can tell they're turning in a direction, like either getting mad or getting sad. And an empath is always reading their environment And empaths also usually have a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And to quell their own anxiety, they do a lot of people pleasing So because they can't handle the emotions of other people. And this is where I teach empaths how to protect their energy, right? So that you are not feeling everybody's everything all the time because that's going to burn you down. And how to, again, take their energy back and not be responsible for everybody else's feelings. And do you think being an empath is a gift, more of a survival mechanism from where somebody came from, just kind of how you're born? That's it. You know, I, I'm just curious where you think that that comes from, because most people are pretty, uh, I think I burn out that don't know how to use it or channel it. I think it's the truth of who we are. I think right now on the planet, we're all evolving to understand our deeper intuitive self. So I think, you know, the reason that people don't, aren't in touch with their intuitive selves, because we all have it, is just because there's a lot of layers of stuff over the top of it. And there's just work to be done underneath that, you know, some people aren't here to do that work in this lifetime. I mean, there's no judgments. It's no one's better than anybody else. It's just what you're called to in this lifetime. And, you know, I think it's a gift. And I think sometimes with everything in life, there's a light side and a shadow side to it. And so sometimes people are really playing out the shadow side because they haven't learned the tools. Again, it goes back to education. We don't get educated on our energy. We don't get educated as children, especially children are so empathetic. We don't, we don't, we're not taught how to communicate. We're not taught how to protect our energy. We're not taught, you know, the difference between someone else's emotions and yours and how to not be responsible for them. I mean, to me, this is critical, critical that we should be learning this as children as part of being human beings. But because we haven't been thus far, um, we end up as adults with no tools around it. So it's literally just, just getting the right tools and the right understanding and perspective about it. They can turn it more to being something that's on the light side than feeling like something that's a shadow. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And I, you also speak about really being an individual that we're all here to be individuals, but we really migrate towards a pack mentality, especially in our family. And we learn that in our family dynamic to not upset or to not really rock the boat. Yeah. So again, it's the love and acceptance and there's nowhere we need it more than in our family of origin. And there's also nowhere for a lot of people that they feel it less. So we are often born into families of origin where we have, you know, there's a lot of lessons that get learned in those families of origin. For a lot of people, those aren't always the smoothest of relationships, even for people that will say, you know, sometimes I have clients and they say, my family's great. And it's kind of like, let's move on. Let's talk about something else, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, let's talk about it a little bit more. And when, when we start looking a little deeper into things, you know, sometimes it feels like my family's great is a way that we've been taught that family comes first. You don't say anything against your family. You know what I mean? You don't look there. You just, you're not, you don't look there. And 
I say that it's not about looking there doesn't mean that you would disgrace or hurt your mother or your father or your sisters or your brothers or whoever raised you. Looking there is how we go back and heal the decisions we made about these people and the decisions we made about ourselves so that we can make some new ones that are more supportive to our life. So it's doing it from a place of more love, right? Being able to love deeper and understand, you know, where we need to heal. So I don't think, I think part of the human journey is that we have these experiences with our families that, that create who we are. And then we have an opportunity in life to recreate, you know, more of who we are in truth and less of maybe the things that we've adopted from people. So I see a lot of times fears around money coming from family systems, fears around doing anything different or bigger than the family did. So I can't supersede my parents or I can't supersede my brother who was always the smartest um, ways that we hold ourselves back with that. I see a lot of um, just the victim mentality coming through family systems. Like my mother was always the victim. Like I'm always the victim. So there's just a lot of things that we naturally just adopt because we're around it and we witnessed it for so much of our young life that we then become it. I mean, I know people joke all the time, like, oh gosh, I remind myself of my mother or oh gosh, I do this just like my dad. And these are just behaviors that we've integrated over time. But it's very profound to realize what's really truly yours at a soul level and what's not yours. Because a learned behavior from somebody else can be unlearned. And we really want to get to what is our soul, who is our soul, and try to live the most in truth with that because that's where we heal. It's like your body comes into to right alignment. It's like if whether you believe in chiropractic or not, if you get a chiropractic adjustment, your whole body goes whoop right? It's like goes into alignment and you feel this release of any tension or you feel release of pain. And that's what it's like on an energetic level when you start living in accordance to your truth. The rest of the stuff just starts to fall away. Right. And what do you think about, I'm curious about um, some of the techniques used today for people to maybe fall in line with their truth. Like for example, uh, trauma therapy or um, some of the meds or what have you seen with that, that really kind of blunt that system and some things that really help, or is it just better to do the deep dive and ask the deep questions? Yeah, I think, you know, trauma therapy is great. If people have been through trauma, there's various types of therapy for that. Um, there's various types of energy work that can remove some of the, you know, old energy I have found when I'm doing, I speak with clients, you know, so I'm having a verbal conversation and I'm doing energy work under the surface. And what I found is that when you are doing both simultaneously, you're taking the conscious mind along with the subconscious and the energetic system that it's very cohesive, meaning the conscious mind is like an excited little puppy dog. And it always wants to know what's going on. So if you, let's say, do like Reiki and have like an energetic shift, sometimes the conscious mind gets involved after and goes, what happened? You know, I want to know what happened. What's the change? What's going to happen? How should I feel now? What should I do? And so I think that by pleasing the conscious mind with information while also shifting the energy is very powerful and effective. And it's been in my practice. Um, but I don't think there's any one right path to anything. So I think being open to exploring and seeing what feels of resonance to you as an individual. And there's a really powerful thing that happens when people just decide they want to heal certain things. And even if they don't know what those certain things are, but you say, hey, 
you know, I'm open to like, you know, the next level for me or the next level of exploration. And it's amazing how you will cross paths with what is that next step for you. And I'm a big proponent of knowing ourselves fully and no pill or medication helps us know ourselves fully. That's an inner inquisition. And I'm also a fan of sometimes getting some intuitive help with that. So therapy is amazing. Um, but somebody that can see a little bit deeper is usually helpful because they can see things that you are almost wanting to hide at some level, right? That, that you're not even going towards, you wouldn't think about talking about in a session with a therapist because you're just not looking there. And sometimes the places we're not looking in the places that are not conscious for us are the most powerful places where the big shifts just kind of occur within us. So, but I always am a big proponent of people following their gut. And most every client, my, my business is mostly referral at this point from past clients. And most everybody that comes to me says, when I heard your voice or when I read your book or when I did this, I just knew I had to talk to you. So it's trusting that gut feeling when you feel really resonant with something and you just feel like I have to do this. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of these things. Is there anything that you'd like to add that I didn't ask you about that you think is important? Yeah. It's just, it's looking to the deeper parts of yourself. I think, you know, what we've talked about through this entire time together, which has been lovely is really asking yourself the deeper question. Like, well, if I was going to ask myself something deeper than this, like if I'm struggling with my weight, what's beneath that? Okay. What's beneath that? What's beneath that? We can lead ourselves right to deeper places. If we just ask, okay, but what's beneath that? or what's driving that. So I give this tool to everybody to just start using it in your daily life and looking at that next deeper layer and that next deeper layer and seeing what comes up. That's great. And if somebody wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? They can find me at my website, thesoulfrequency.com. I'm also on Instagram a lot and the handle is at thesoulfrequency. Um, I do also have a amazing recipe book called Crave. It's all our favorite junk foods made healthy. So you can get that at thecraverecipebook.com. And I talk a little bit about food and the food side of things and my journey in that as well. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful. It's been great to be here. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.